Hello, welcome back. This is Holly with Postmo Rebuild. This podcast um, is about rebuilding your life after Mormonism and particularly how to rebuild and how I'm rebuilding as a non expert. <laughs> and I'll talk about, well, a lot of things, but focused mainly on rebuilding after Mormonism. Whenever you leave, a high demand religion, orthodoxy, you're, you're rebuilding from scratch who you are, basically. So, today I want to tell my story. I recorded this a while ago on YouTube, and then when I had the incident I discussed in episode one, um, I decided to just delete everything, and along with it went my story. So, buckle up. It's going to be a crazy ride. Just kidding. It's not really a crazy ride. My life was pretty boring, but very, very Mormon. So, um, let's start with, I'm not, I'm not your normal Utah Mormon because I live in Utah now, but I grew up in South Carolina and I had some great experiences just growing up in a small branch <clears throat> Um, our building looked like Pizza Hut. That's what people described it as, as the old school Pizza Huts that were just kind of like an octagon almost. Um, and so, you know, in the middle we had our, our meeting room, our chapel, which could also be used as a gym. And then around it were classrooms and branch president's office. So, um... Interestingly enough, my my mom's a convert. My dad's um, parents or grandparents were converts, I think. Um, but my parents were very active. Um, was born under the born in the covenant, and I, you know, growing up in an area where the church was so small, everyone in my everyone in my um, um, in my branch, like in my classes, you know, women's, whatever, Sunday school classes was related to me. Uh, very few weren't. And seminary was early in the morning, um, anywhere from four to six or seven of us taught by just someone from the branch, not, um, not a professional seminary teacher like you have out here in Utah and Idaho. But it was, it was fun. It was interesting. We were different. Um, people from a young age were asking about, about us because, you know, Mormons, no one knew anything about Mormons. They, uh, they, they knew, well, in hindsight, they knew more than I knew about Mormons. <laughs> but at the time, I, I didn't realize that. And so I grew up having to defend the church a lot um in my even in my early teenage years like 13 14 I was having to to try to gain my own testimony so that I would be able to defend things like when people would call the church a cult or or they would try to get me saved or to join their um, congregation or to get baptized in, a, in another church you know or have any of these religious discussions, 
I, I wanted to be able to know. And, you know, I did my own nice challenge. I took a couple weeks to really pray, 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 and, and, and nothing really came about. And then eventually I did have some strong feelings. Um, now I understand the concept of confirmation bias. And so it actually makes a lot more sense understanding the psychology of it. Um, but yeah, I grew up there and then I kind of had some hardcore, um, branch presidents, um, who really shot home the concept of chastity and morality, um, taught out of miracle forgiveness and, you know, all the things you get as a young Mormon girl about, um, Things you wear are important to controlling boys' thoughts. <laughs> yeah, like we have control over their brain by wearing a s- skirt to our ankles. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's, that's super, super powers there. Um, so anyway, so I grew up with that. And um, I, I was very strict in what I, what I believed. And so once I believed... I felt like I had to be perfect. Like I had to live it perfectly. So uh, my goal was to be around more Mormons. Where you're, where I'm coming from like three or four youth. All of them related to me. Maybe one or two that weren't. Um, no young men. I went to, I, I really wanted to go to BYU. And so I kind of made that my goal my last couple of years of high school. I got into Rick's. Um, and BYU, um, but I decided to go to Rick's first because I, I was from a small town. I'm going across the country. I wanted to ease into things. So I went to Rick's first, and I actually really loved it. I mean, when you're coming from someone who was a rule follower, um, I didn't like missing Sundays. I fasted. You know, I was a teenager, and I still met, met, made sure I paid my tithing and fast offerings. Um Dude, Rick's is the dream then. Rules, rules, rules. And so I I had great friends. I had a good time. Um, And then, you know, I graduated in 2000 because it was only a two-year college then. So I went to BYU. Man, BYU, I loved it. I had the best college experience. I mean, it was a little bit of a shock at first. There's always a culture shock, but met my best friend there. Um, who helped chill me out a little bit on the rules thing. Not a lot, but a little bit. (laughs) Um, Met my husband there, like had a great group of friends and just enjoyed it. Just did, just had the best experiences. And for a super Mormon like myself, going to a college and they're like, we're going to say prayers before we start, before we start class. Like that was that was great. Taking religion classes. I actually love taking religion classes. I thought it was so cool that I could also study the gospel while also um, getting my education. I ended up getting my education in um, elementary education, um, which is an interesting thing. Like I, I pursued that because of my patriarchal blessing that said that I would be a great teacher. And I have mixed feelings on that because I 
I always had a kind of a, a desire. Like I really love fitness and nutrition and health, which is kind of what I do now. And, but I also like really love the thought of journalism. Um, I would have had to really upgrade my grammar skills, but I thought that would be super fun to do too. And so, but because my patriarchal blessing that I got when I was 13 or 14 years old, I can't remember, because it mentioned teaching, that was always my thing. Even when I was unsure if I wanted to do it, I did it. And like I said, I have mixed feelings because I was good at it. I enjoyed it. But I, um, I definitely... But I definitely um, followed that because of because of my patriarchal blessing. So anyway, let's fast forward a little bit to get the story rolling. So I'm at BYU. My last year, of course, is when I meet my husband. That's kind of how it goes. You either meet him your freshman year or your senior year, I think. So I meet my husband. <clears throat> kind of a whirlwind romance. Um, he goes on a mission. I'm actually a couple years older than him, a few years so he goes on a mission for the church, and then I, I'm teaching and um, trying to be more spiritual to prepare myself for the temple because I know we're going to get married in the temple when he comes back, and and I, I just want to be super like ready and and spiritual and everything I needed to be. So I go to the temple. Um, I'll have to do an episode just on the temple because I was warned that it was weird. <laughs> and so I was prepared for some th- for well not weird but like people were telling me like you're not gonna understand it, it it's gonna be different and you're not gonna understand it but that's why you keep going and you'll figure it out we'll figure it out eventually and then I re- you know now I realize that's what everyone tells each other you'll figure it out eventually but no I didn't love the temple and I didn't even really like it like I thought the celestial room was kind of fun kind of cool kind of nice vibe to meditate and really think about life um but the rest of it no not so much um I had too much inner feminist in me to to um enjoy the parts before that I thought the initiatories were kind of cool um at the time uh, it was very very neat to see women um blessing and I love that that was very good uh, that was my kind of sauce. So, anyway, moving forward. Got married. Got sealed. Um, my husband went to college for a few more years. He's at BYU. I was teaching. We had a baby about four years later. Um, she also deserves her own episode. Um, she's a special needs child. When she was six months old, we... The first six months... Well, her whole life has been hard, but for the first six months... It was really difficult because she wasn't developing. I wasn't sleeping much because she couldn't nurse. So I was having to pump, nurse, and give her extra formula feed. So when do you sleep with a newborn like that? You don't. <laughs> and so so that was a such a difficult part of life. But then we find out we have this special needs kid that is going to require a lot of extra. Um a lot of extra attention. We don't know when she'll die. We were told, we were told she could live days, she could live months, she could live years. Um, so that's what we're, that's what we're um, handling. That's what we're trying to deal with. Um, this brought out a lot of uber spirituality in me, and I 
became very scrupulous in the way I lived the gospel. Like I wanted to live it to a T. I was listening to conference talks. I was reading my scriptures every day. I was, I wanted to go to the temple once a week, but you know, I have a little newborn, so that didn't happen. Um, I was trying to serve. Like I, I was praying for miracles. I was never one. I've never been one to blame God for my problems. Um, humble brag, but I definitely was seeking miracles and they weren't coming. And so I, I came across a talk that was about, but if not, and it's basically circle circular logic. Like if you, you know, God will heal you sometimes, but if he doesn't, then you still got to be faithful. So you get this never ending circle of like, God can't do wrong. Um, but I am, I developed, I embraced that and kind of made that what I lived by because the miracle I wanted wasn't coming. Obviously my daughter wasn't being healed. And so, you know, my brain eventually, well, I, I gave credit to the spirit then now give credit to my brain eventually, um, came to peace with that. Um, and there's still hard days, but the, the main point of this is when, when I found out I had a special needs kid, like in the church, we are taught that these kids that are special needs, these kids are that are born disabled or don't survive or stillborn or whatever, um, they get to the upper levels of heaven, the, the top tier celestial kingdom. And so knowing that I wanted to be with my daughter forever, that meant that I had to make it there. So she's got a free pass to the top tier, top level of celestial kingdom, best of the best, which is great. You know, my Mormon mind, it gave me so much peace, but for her, but for me, it upped the turmoil inside me because I knew I had to be that level of good. Um, I had to be that level of perfect. And so it made, it made me feel like, never enough um I was always trying to be more spiritual and and better and and repenting more noticing my mistakes more trying to be trying to be good enough because not only do I want to be with my daughter forever but when you have a when you have a kid that's so disabled your opportunity to see them walk to see them run see them play, to talk to them is only going to happen in that if you make it there with them to that top level of the celestial kingdom, you know, and then there's some different, um, doctrines or beliefs or whatever, different thoughts about raising children that die or young, um, in the next life. And so, you know, if she died really young, then I would get the chance to raise her as a normal child. Anyway, there's all these things going through my head. And so it was mentally not very healthy, but, um, it kept me focused on the prize first level celestial kingdom prize. Um, anyway, then I have my son and actually get a rare cancer. And so that kind of also ups the ante on how I want to live my life. Um, and I get better, you know, my husband goes through, this is 
like five or six years down the line from my son's birth, um, my cancer battle, my husband goes through his own faith crisis and he was very, very kind and empathetic about it. Um, he would just mention things here and there. Like, did you know that Joseph Smith committed was polygamous? What do you think about Noah's Ark? Could it be literal? And I did not handle it well. Like, I, I did handle well letting him know that I would love him no matter what. And, and I never, ever would consider leaving him over the church because our relationship is deeper than that. But I was also... I also had to grieve, like, losing eternity is what it felt like if he didn't believe this. Um, but he was very, like I said, he was very patient with me. But when the time came to baptize our son, like, it was really that choice of, like, seeing the my husband, who's very worthy and able to baptize, but um, not having, not feeling like if he should because of, his current belief system not lining, you know, not, not sure where that lies. But at that time I was like, I fully believed and I was full in, but I couldn't, I couldn't take this from my husband. I couldn't baptize my son despite how strongly I believed. And that is what led me to open up my mind a little bit. Um, seeing the pain that my husband was going through with, um, you know, the struggle of faith crisis and, and also feeling like I was really for the first time in a long time, feeling the less than so strongly, like that I can't baptize my son, even though I have faith and desire and I'm according to According to the Mormon gods, <laughs> um, I'm worthy. And so at that time, like I'd already let, read the CS letter once. I'd listened to, I, I had not read it all the way once. I had started it once and read it along with Fair Mormon. And, you know, it did make me a little uneasy, but I not enough that I, that I really let anything soak in. But after this, I, I read the first quote, um, from uh, J. Reuben Clark, I believe, from the First Presidency, who was in the First Presidency at one point in time, um, where he basically says, and I think this is more of a paraphrase than an exact quote, but he basically says, if we have the truth, it ought not to be harmed. But if we have not the truth, it ought to be harmed. And it got me thinking, you know what? That is so true. Like, if this is true, then there's nothing to be afraid of. I've had all of these spiritual experiences or what I chalked up to spirit to the spirit at the time. And so I was telling myself, if I, if I believe that the spirit can testify of truth, I also believe that the spirit can let me know if something is false. I mean, we have that in our scripture, like how you can detect, how you can determine this feelings of the spirit from not the spirit. And so that's how God talks to me. And I trust in that. Like I've felt that spiritual feeling before. So I had full confidence going into this, again, the CS letter again. And I said, I thought to myself, all right, I'm really going to read it this time. And I'm going to read it along with Fair Mormon, which is like the Mormon apologetics. 
Um, but I'm going to read it with my eyes open. I'm really going to think about this. And then, so I did that. And wow, things really were crazy to me then. But ultimately for me, um, it came down to polygamy's always been my biggest thing on my shelf. And so when I, when I read more, learned more about polygamy, that shelf got heavier and heavier. But science ultimately, I would say, broke it, the shelf, because once I learned about the DNA um, not lining up with the Book of Mormon, and once I learned about the archaeology and the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, um, I there's nothing to stand on. Like science is science, and if they uncover, if eventually an, an entire Mormon civilization is uncovered, and we find out that the DNA does match up, then I can choose again to to um, rejoin my fellow Mormons. <laughs> but for me, like when all that stuff happened, like that that broke my shelf pretty quickly. So within just a couple of days, I. Uh, of going down that rabbit hole, I stopped wearing garments and and no longer believe because there's nothing to believe in. Like, I mean, you can't fight science, and and I can't stand by um, temple covenants that that um, that condone polygamy that. Um, is forced upon young children, not young children, but young women. And that's, in the words of their own journals, that's what was happening between Joseph Smith and some of these young, young, young women that um, I felt like he was manipulating them. And, and I couldn't stand, I couldn't stand by that. And I couldn't be part of that anymore. And so that was my story. And so then I decided I needed to separate. Um, And it's a little bit at a time. And I think and I, kind of wrapping up my story, I think going forward, what I would, you know, anyone who's new to this, especially what I would suggest is moving at the pace you need to move at. Like I moved rapid fire because to me it was, I dedicated my entire life to this. I read the Book of Mormon dozens of times. Like I read the whole Bible. Like I've, I've inside out done the religion. But once, once science and scholarship proved that that it is impossible to be the truth, then I had to back away from it. Like I had to separate myself. Um, there was definitely backlash. I would say there was more love than anything. And I'm in a great situation where my husband and I were on the same page. And so, you know, that definitely made things easier. It wasn't a lonely road. Or I should say it wasn't as lonely. It's still a lonely road because you lose your community. And as we'll talk about a lot in here is you have to rebuild. And rebuilding is hard. Rebuilding is scary. But the biggest thing I want to just leave you with is just think about your story, the power in in what happened, and and giving yourself permission to share when you're ready. And giving yourself permission to wait until you're ready when you need to. I I found out when I was ready. And it's kind of hard to know. But like I, I had to go public with it. I had to put it. I had to blog about it. Put it on Facebook. Because 
I didn't feel authentic if I didn't. Um, and some people, a lot of people don't have to do that. They don't feel the need to. Um, so, so you'll know, you'll know when it's your time. Anyway, enough of that. That's my story. I'm extremely happy now. Like you go through a grieving process. You go through just like you would, I imagine with death or divorce, but you, you go through that process and it's going to take, I've heard sometimes years and years and years, maybe decades to rewire your brain after leaving a high demand religion or orthodoxy. And, but it gets a little bit easier over time. And so, and that's what I'm finding. But I think more than anything, we've got to keep our community together and find a way to, um, to best go through all of this as a, um, as a post-Mormon community and, and support each other through it and hear each other's stories, but also talk about how we're rebuilding. What are our new value systems and, and other things? And that's what we'll do um, going forward. So anyway, this is a long one. Thank you for staying in, staying with me. Whew, we almost reached half hour. If you want to share your story or anything else, feel free to um, message me, get back to me, and I would love to have you on. Have a good night, guys.